Welcome to Aging Better in Uncertain Times. I'm Gord Martineau, in studio, alongside Dr. Fabio Varlese. Here, we help you keep informed and up-to-date on the latest in science, medicine, and technology that helps us all age better in these uncertain times. When I was training, you know, LOL meant little old lady, right? <laughs> if you were eight years old yeah. and, or 85, you know, the, the medical history stopped there. Nobody was going to look at 85 years old. Okay, done. But now, you know, people are living longer and in better health. And I operate on 90-year-olds. I've done surgeries on 97-year-olds who are living independently and driving. And this concept of ageism is one that we really have to tackle because uh, we could really make a big difference in the quality of life of people that have already produced many wonderful years uh, for, uh, for our country and for other people's lives. And that's really the most rewarding part. Thanks for joining us today on our weekly guide into living a better, healthier life so we can all experience aging better in these uncertain times. Now, throughout the series, we're going to examine the best ways to prepare ourselves for the future. So what's the best advice for overall health? We're going to look at every aspect affecting your life. That means physical, mental, financial, nutritional, and medical. We'll cover all the bases. To do that, we're going to supply you with high-value information from the leading experts in each field. And by that, I don't mean just everyday opinions. We're going to have to introduce you to the leading experts in each field. These are men and women who have studied, worked, and who teach at the highest levels. You have the questions, we have the answers. Joining me here in the studio, Dr. Fabio Varlesi, a specialist in internal medicine and geriatric medicine. He's the Vice President of Medical Affairs and Chief of Staff at Runnymede Hospital, Staff Specialist at Baycrest Health Sciences, and Dr. Varlesi, also an Assistant Professor at the University of Toronto. Welcome, Doctor. And also with us today is Dr. Giuseppe Papia. He is a member of the Division of Cardiac and Vascular Surgery and the Division of Critical Care Medicine at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. And uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Dr. Papia. We'll get to you in a second, but first, uh, Fabio, heart health, enormously important. Is one of the first questions you ask a patient when they come to you, no matter what the procedure they require, what, uh, what medical care they need, do you ask them right off the top, how's your heart? What kind of shape is your heart in? Well, uh, we, we ask them that question uh, through um, the types of symptoms uh, that they may have. We ask that question through potential risk factors that they may have. We look at their histories. We do a very, very comprehensive assessment. It's, it's, a, it's one of the most important topics because uh, heart disease um, is usually an indication that there could be other organs involved, anywhere from the brain to the kidneys. And so... It is certainly central in the comprehensive assessment that we perform on patients. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so important that uh, to talk about it because, you know, heart disease together with cancer, um, you know, accounts for almost half of all deaths in Canada. And that's, uh, and then, you know, number three is accidents, injuries. But, uh, and, and then men are um, two times more likely to suffer a heart attack than, than women. And a diagnosis of coronary artery disease or, uh, you know, is made 10 years earlier than women. So a lot of implications with uh, heart disease and how other organs uh, are implicated. So very important. Dr. Papia, heart health and immunity go hand in hand, wouldn't you say? I mean, uh, at, 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 at people, you know, when they reach a certain age or as they approach senior citizenship, 
that the heart it becomes the number one concern. And so immunity goes hand in hand with it, does it not? I think they're uh, definitely related. I think that you can't take the disease out of the context of the patient. I mean, we always made the joke in medical school that if you wanted a, link, a long life, you had to pick your parents well. And unfortunately, none of us had that luxury. So how your genes interact with the world and your lifestyle make a big difference. And what you do uh, with your lifestyle affects your immunity. And inflammation and atherosclerosis are the same process. So when your arteries get hard and diseased and narrow and close up, that's an inflammatory process. And you definitely have immune factors that are related with that. Would it be fair to say, like well, in, in my assessment or opinion, that the two most important factors in your overall health are your brain and your heart? I mean, because if your heart is in poor shape, the rest of your body is going to be in poor shape, right? Yeah, I, I think that would be a pretty fair assessment. I think that uh, without a heart, there is no person. Uh, the heart it pumps everything everywhere in nutrition, oxygen, all everything you need for life uh, to get going. And then without a, a central processing unit, without your brain and keeping your brain healthy, then you're not, you're not there either. So I completely agree with that. So nutrition, lifestyle, big factors in, in treating people with, with heart issues. I mean, how do you lecture people without, uh, you know, browbeating them into taking care of their heart? Oh, I think that that's a great question. Uh, there's no browbeating and no lecturing. I, there's nothing I tell patients when they come to me uh, that they don't already know and they don't cringe uh, when I tell them. You know, I, I treat a lifestyle problem, uh, vascular disease, I'm a vascular surgeon, and a lot of that is lifestyle. And, uh, you know, they need to eat better and quit smoking. And they know that. In fact, you know, I think that sometimes the most unhelpful thing I tell people is to quit smoking mm. because what they need to hear is how they all know that they have to quit smoking. Yeah. What they need to know is how. It's kind of like when you tell a marathon runner, if you want to win the race, you have to arrive first. That's not helpful information to them. They need to know how. And I think that that's where uh, you engage the patient. And uh, if you tell them just to quit, get better, uh, exercise and leave, they actually kind of hate you for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, the, and the thing is, you – you know, you probably get bored telling people the same thing over and over and over again. People should know this, but you have to read the Riot Act anyway, don't you? Yeah, and I think that my, my approach has changed over the years. I think the Riot Act doesn't work. In fact, the moment I start telling people to live healthier and to uh, quit smoking is they, they shut off. You see it in their eyes, right, mm. in the, the clinic room. Yeah, because they so, they're saying, oh, that again? That kind of yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. It's like uh, I'll say it's like when I was a boy going to you know family uh, cultural events with my parents. I was very good at turning off, and I think the patients are very good at turning off the moment you start lecturing them. So, in <laughs> fact, I, I do a little thing. I just tell them, look, I, I'm going to give you a useless piece of information. You have to quit smoking, and I know that's not helpful. And then all of a sudden, they look and they say, well, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, because you've probably quit so many times, you think it's easy to quit. You've done it 20 times, so quitting is easy. Mm -hmm. But staying off cigarettes or getting exercise, uh, these are difficult things uh, if you try to tackle them all, uh, you know, with big goals. So, you know, I think th that information has to be tailored to the individual patient or it's just not going to be helpful. And acknowledging how tough it is, I think, engages them. 
Okay, so giving up cigarettes and, and, you know, improving your lifestyle. What about alcohol? How big a factor is that? I mean, do you tell people, hey, you know what, you got to back off on that stuff or, or cut it out entirely? I think that uh, that is a double-edged sword. I think, you know, if you look at all the studies for heart health and for uh, vascular health, small amounts of alcohol has always been protective. And I do not sit and advocate people drink more alcohol. But I do ask them how many drinks they have a day, how many drinks they have a week. And, uh, you know, my basic advice is use your common sense. If you don't drink, don't start. And if you drink a lot, cut it down. One area I want to get into, and, and this one for me is pretty interesting, at your area of academic interest is in patient safety and quality improvements in perioperative care. Explain to me patient safety and, and you know, and the perioperative, uh, uh, perioperative care. How significant is that in, in the treatment of the patients you have? Well, it's very significant. I think that so a lot of that work, uh, I've spent uh, probably the better part of my career working on um, protocols and standardizing care for uh, surgical patients to make their journey in the hospital and back home as safe as possible. And one of the earliest projects I took on was a simple checklist, the surgical safety checklist that uh, was to be performed before every surgery. And now I- I'm delighted to say it's mandated in the province of Ontario. I think every hospital is at 100%. And this is a simple checklist, a simple conversation that happens before every operation and every operating room in the province to say, hey, what are we doing today? Do we have our equipment? Are all of the safety measures in place that we need to be in place to make this operation safe for this patient? And then are we ready to proceed? And uh, that has made a huge difference, both in teamwork, and we know that high-performing teams have better outcomes, and in patient safety. So with regard to your uh, mission uh, to maintain people's dignity, you also get into the area of possible amputations because people suffer from things like diabetes, which is a very serious situation. And, and you know, a lot of people may take it lightly, but, but that's huge, patient, patient dignity. And, and discussing the issue of, you know what, maybe you might lose a limb uh, because of your condition. Absolutely. You know, when I started my practice, uh, diabetes is one of those things people take for granted that people just get when they get older. And what comes hand in hand with diabetes is vascular disease and blocked arteries. You know, uh, what we found is that uh, this problem leads to an enormous amount of avoidable major leg amputations. Mm -hmm. And if you approach their care uh, quickly and in a multidisciplinary fashion, you're actually able to save their legs. And that's the saving dignity part of it. You know, when patients develop an ulcer on their toe and they have diabetes, they were, you know, they're just written off as a, a diabetic ulcer, give them some cream. And we know now that the outcome for those patients is worse than the combination of breast cancer prostate cancer and colon cancer combined. How do, how do you uh, mean? It is a devastating uh, thing that happens to them. How do you mean the outcome is, is, is different? What, are you talking so, about the loss of a limb? So uh, they, it just tells you how uh, uh, sick those patients are. So they, a patient with diabetes that develops an ulcer has a 75% chance of losing that limb. But actually, statistically, they have a lifespan of less than 55% over two years. So most of them are so ill, then that is just uh, not, they're just not going to be around in two years. And that's something that people aren't, aren't aware of. Like this is a devastating thing, not just a little thing you put cream 
on. So people often come to you at, at, at the point where, and I don't want to say this, but they're, they're in the late stages. I mean, you know, this, the situation is so dire that there's a limited number of things you can do. A hundred percent. The problem we found, and certainly uh, as we started looking into these patients, is they're older, they have multiple medical problems, and people have kind of said there's not much you can do. Uh, but so by the time they come to our center, where we uh, take a very aggressive multidisciplinary approach, both with their medical care, their vascular care, with new techniques that we're developing every day, and their wound care, we're able to keep those limbs on uh, longer and longer and save them from major amputations, which is, is like a death sentence if you're in your 80s, living alone, um, uh, to lose a limb. Dr. Papier, when it comes to surgical procedures, I mean, um, I've, I've had the benefit because my background is journalism of being in the OR and witnessing uh, heart surgeries, you know, for things like tetralogy of fallow, which, uh, you know, most people don't understand or, or wouldn't unless they researched it. But um, are there just a limited number of surgeries you can do for people with heart ailments? And, or, or are there new developments coming along um, as, as we speak? Uh, certainly, there are always new developments, and uh, we're trying uh, to get uh, further, uh, bigger, uh, but with smaller incisions and even no incisions. So, you know, with regards to the heart, uh, rerouting electrical problems with small needles in, yeah. uh, in electrophysiology labs, putting in valves through small or no incisions in the leg where people go home the next day, uh, and uh, opening up arteries. Uh, with uh, clot-busting agents uh, for different parts of the artery uh, that weren't available before, not just fresh clots, but things like collagen. And, and uh, there is a group at Sunnybrook leading this to open up things and really uh, get patients back to uh, a, a dignified uh, life uh, as quickly as possible with the uh, minimum amount of injury from surgery as possible. The work I do is uh, to use those techniques in the foot. And so where these ulcers uh, develop and they could progress to gangrene and lead to uh, leg amputations, we take these small wires that are 14 thousandths of an inch, but three meters long, and we use them as a spear to go down into one and two millimeter arteries and open them up and get these ulcers to heal. And, uh, and that stops the, the, the gangrene from going on and taking the leg. How rewarding is it when you see research and new developments coming along when you, when you say to yourself, wow, that's amazing. This is going to make my job so much easier. Ah, I'm not sure we ever <laughs> have an easy job, yeah. but the reward comes from the patient. I could tell you that, uh, and I have this discussion with Dr. Varlese because his patients are older and my patients are older, that when I was training, you know, LOL meant little old lady, right? If you were eight <laughs> years old yeah. uh, or 85, you know, the, the medical history stopped there. Nobody was going to look at 85 years old. Okay, done. But now, you know, people are living longer and in better health. And I operate on 90-year-olds. I've done surgeries on 97-year-olds who are living independently and driving. And this concept of ageism is one that we really have to tackle because uh, we could really make a big difference in the quality of life of people that have already produced many wonderful years uh, for, uh, for our country and for other people's lives. And that's really the most rewarding part. And Dr. Varlese, nutrition and lifestyle come into it because, you know, 
as as Dr. Papia was saying, you know, he's operating on, on people who are older and older. So, you know, heart health is so important because some patients may not be at the point where they can withstand the rigors of surgery and the recuperation. There's no doubt. Um, in fact, uh, uh, we, we talk about this all the time with, with Dr. Papi. In fact, we're looking at a, a program uh, that is focused on screening and prevention. Uh, and, and I'd love to have Dr. Papia talk about this program because I, I think that it, it really looks at, you know, the issues that you're bringing up, uh, Gord. Um, I, I think that uh, prevention still remains mm. uh, a big issue and developing programs that focus on screening um, are certainly going to have a massive impact on, on the quality of life and aging better. Uh, perhaps, Giuseppe, you can talk about that program. I'd be happy to. Uh, so... Uh you had asked or mentioned earlier that by the time patients get to me, it's too late. And that, that's often true. And so we started a awareness campaign called Project Saving Legs. And uh, with this campaign, it's really getting the word out on the uh, scope of the issue and how severe the issue is for these patients. And uh, prevention is uh, really the key. But in prevention, as we mentioned, the patients are older. So really, it's about early detection. And in a multidisciplinary program where uh, patients with diabetes get screened before there's a foot problem by their GPs. And we support them uh, remotely and through specialized programs and really trying to create this hub and spoke model of uh, specialized centers where patients that have, you know, multiple issues can be supported. So as we mentioned, these patients have uh, medical issues, they're older, mobility issues, they smoke, all of that, and they have vascular disease. All of that has to be tackled at the same time. And if you could think about that concept, we're talking about the equivalent sort of setup like a cancer center. You know, if you uh, in this country are a young woman that feels a breast lump, with one single fax referral within three weeks to a major cancer center, you'll see all your specialists have all your diagnostics and have all your care taken care of. And we know this saves lives. And so we need to create the same thing for patients with uh, diabetes and vascular disease. And that's the program that Dr. Varlese is talking about. A one-stop center where we could do all the tests, have all the specialists approach the patients at the same time before the issue gets to, uh, to amputation. If we treat ulcers and get them to heal in patients and prevent amputations, we do a lot of procedures, there's a lot of care, and that costs in Ontario about um, seven to $13,000 a patient, maybe as high as $20,000 if they need antibiotics and some hospitalized care. If these patients go on and have an amputation, oh, you know, like there's this concept that, okay, you eliminate all those procedures. Well, the cost to the system is $70,000 mm. per patient. If we got our rates down with a primary prevention program, we would save hundreds of millions a year. And we would liberate all those inpatient beds for other people that have other medical issues that need inpatient beds. Like it, it would be capacity creating. So this is the goal, and this is why we're so passionate and strong about it. So, uh, Dr. Papier, thank you so much. I mean, we could go on for, for a much lengthier period of time than we have, but unfortunately, we're limited by the number of minutes we can do this. But it really educational to speak to you today, and we wish you best of luck in your continued work. Uh, it's been a privilege, and I really appreciate the opportunity to participate in this great program. Great. 
Thank you very much for your input. Thank you. Some final thoughts now with Dr. Varlese's prescription to aging better. So, Dr. Varlese, heart health obviously is hugely important. I mean, that goes without saying, but we've learned that diabetes and the side effects, negative side effects of that, are of particular concern. And, and you know, from Dr. Papia's point of view, not enough focus is being focused or being paid to the issue of diabetes and the problems that occur uh, as a result of that, specifically amputations. It's incredible. Um, you know, diabetes uh, continues to uh, be a major um, part of um, the medical care of many of our patients today. Um, we tend to forget that it's very much lifestyle related. Mm. And uh, so, as usual, you hear me say this over and over again in these uh, episodes that uh, there's no doubt that we need to spend more time counseling our patients and coaching them into health. Yeah. Uh, medical uh, care is making so many uh, changes. There's a lot of progress in, in the types of um, surgeries that we perform today. And it's it was just amazing to hear Dr. Papia talk about some of the latest uh, innovations in, in surgical care. Um, but more importantly, you know, we need to focus on this uh, the prevention that really sure. helps us uh, um, uh, have an impact on the outcomes and uh, also uh, it was amazing to hear about the LEAP program that um, uh, can in fact have a, a significant impact on the prevention and the screening of patients before they have to endure the type of complications that diabetes mm. leads to. Education is a huge factor it's here. Huge. Public awareness. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that. And as we wrap up today, please, folks, get a flu shot. The information is at myfluShot.ca. Questions about aging better can be emailed to info at agingbetter.ca or by visiting our website at agingbetter.ca. Aging Better in Uncertain Times, brought to you by Delos, Runnymede Health, Jewel 88.5, L'Oreal, La Roche-Posay, Vichy, Avicana, and Sanofi Pasteur, in part to an educational grant. Be sure to drop in for your next doctor's visit on Jewel 88.5, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. or at jewel885.com. Until next time, I'm Gord Martineau with Dr. Fabio Varlese, along with producers Dominic Schulo and David Sursta. Be well and stay safe.